So welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Podshot Podcast. It is I, Manas, who's hosting this week, because why not? We have the lovely Lorcan Reese and Sebastian Hoon with us. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. Cold, but good. Same here, same here. Amazing. We'll start off with the Podshot question. What's on your ideal festive plate? Christmas or otherwise. We'll start with Seth. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, I would say my personal favorite meal for festive occasions is some sort of lamb um, with sort of seasonal uh, side dishes, whether it's Christmas or sort of any other holiday. But lamb is my, my sort of meat of choice for, for festive occasions. Yeah, I say this reluctantly, um, but I really enjoy Thanksgiving. It's not going to be my answer, but I've just come off having Thanksgiving because um, I have American friends. Um, but I, in terms of Christmas, I'd say roasted potatoes, really good stuffing. Um, I actually prefer guinea fowl to chicken on on or, or turkey rather on on chicken, um, pigs in blankets, that sort of stuff. A good glazed ham. I'm looking forward to it. Turkeys are overrated as fuck, in my opinion. Yeah, I kind of agree. I can relate to none of those foods <laughs> except potatoes. Except potatoes, maybe. <laughs> we don't. We don't have Christmas over in India, but well, we do. But uh, where I live, we have Diwali, uh, which was in November, and we don't really do any dishes, but maybe some sweets, which my mother makes. Those are pretty nice. So getting into the game and what happened in the week, we emerged victorious from a free-flowing Champions League home game against Loss, where we smacked them 6-0. And at the weekend, we faced Wolves, trying to find the same sort of fluidity that we saw in the Loss game. Starboy Bukayo Saka broke the deadlock in the sixth minute after bunting his way into the box and finishing with the help of Jesus and Takehiro Tomiyasu. Arsenal were rolling, rolling and scored only seven minutes later with, with the wonderful 1-2 between Zinchenko and Jesus which set up Odegaard in the Ozone to score his famous cutback goal. We would continue to dominate the game but were unable to finish it off with Trossard, Enketia and Martinelli all going close, the latter of the two hitting the post. Then, just as the game appeared to be coming to a close, Zinchenko gave us another classic by giving the ball away in his own box, which led to a late Wolves goal by Matthias Cunha. But we ended up seeing the game out in the end and won 2-1. With the weekend coming to a close, Liverpool edged their home game. It was at home, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, 4-3 against Fulham. And City did what they do against Spurs. Haaland missed a couple of big chances, but they ended up drawing 3-3. So, all in all, a good week for the Arsenal, where we go top. Uh, two points clear at the top? Oh, yeah, two, because Liverpool are now ahead. Yeah, yeah, two. So right off the bat, I just want to discuss, we saw pretty much the same lineups against Noss and uh, Wolves, ex- uh, with the difference of Havertz and Trossard. Trossard who started the game against Wolves and Havertz who started the game against Noss. 
what do you guys think is the major difference from the beginning of the season to these two games where we suddenly seem to have found our free-flowing football, our dynamic football again. We found some rhythm. What do you think is the major difference? Like, what's changed? Uh, we'll start with Lorcan. I think there's an element to Champions League football, given like its transitional nature, um, that we'll just continue to see, especially in Champions League group stages. Um, and then we did see early on at home. Um, that being said, I feel like a lot of our issues have been growing pains, adapting to how teams have adapted towards us. And I think we've managed to find in these last two games, particularly against Wolves, a healthy balance of sort of deep build-up, um, dictating the flow and varying the flow and tempo of attacks, um, stretching the pitch, all while being in a good position to defend transitions. So I think it's, yeah, I think I think it's overcoming growing pains to an extent. I, I expect them to re-emerge as well. Um, but yeah, it's been nice to see. Yeah, I'm sort of on the same wavelength. I think it's sort of a three-game sample size now with um, the Brentford game, the Lawns game, and now the Wolves game, wherein we've seen sort of the same structure in all three games, more or less, um, which I'm still not certain is a sort of overall structural change or an oppositional thing because all three teams we faced are a 5-3-2 in some variation, some more pressing than others. Um, but I think that structural change in and of itself where we've seen Zinchenko take up a lot more wide positions, we've sort of been playing out in a sort of flat four a lot of times, um, that has sort of become something where we've been able to create sort of deep build-up situations where we draw them in and sort of create space that way to, to get further ahead, as well as um, the positioning of our eights giving us, and, and our fullbacks, uh, giving us sort of optimized triangles and optimized rotations to sort of get more dynamism on the wings to then attack from there. Um, I think it's been clear that that's sort of been what we're trying to do. And I think each game passing, it's become a lot more fluent and a lot better. Uh, I would wager the Wolves' performance is in in a lot of cases even better than the the Lons performance, scoreline permitting, uh, considering we we were able to manage that sort of dynamism created with still maintaining more territorial dominance than we did against Lons. Um, obviously, the the quality of the opponent comes in there as well. But I think what's been the sort of biggest change and the, the biggest factor in us being able to uh, gain more attacking dynamism is dropping Odegaard deeper and sort of creating ways of getting him deeper and getting him to receive, which has also helped Rice in that Rice has sort of become our only deep receiver with Sinchenko getting wider and higher up, with Odegaard sort of taking the turning from deep uh responsibilities away from him and having him sort of get the ball in situations where he is facing play and sort of can do what he's best at so i think it's it's i would say it is probably more to do with our own personnel and our own sort of disposition that we've seen this sort of structural change um and and i think it's something that we will continue to see and something that's worked out pretty well so far yeah yeah that's a great summary and 
because you touched on Odegaard and the fact that he was dropping deep, what do you think were some of the other tweaks? Like you said, you mentioned the eights and occupation of space. Did you see anything different in high build-up? So build-up near in the second phase where we're on the midfield line. We are usual, usually used to doing a 3-2, but I, I, feel, I felt in the Wolves game, we were more of a 2-3 where we pushed both fullbacks slightly higher as the midfield two and Rice is in the center. So I felt that was different. Uh, obviously, owing to the fact that Odegaard was coming deep and he was the one who was responsible at times for progression. He was almost playing as a six at, at times. Like he was receiving in the first line. He uh, Rice would push out, stagger himself as the pivot and Odegaard would come in. Uh, obviously, Wolves didn't, you know, give us a pretty, you know, solid block. I would say I think I think they were moving. They, we were able to move their midfielders pretty easily. Um, so, what else do you think would might be the reason? We'll come to local. Yeah, I, I think I, I've been. I was really happy with the way that we used, um, or the way that we operated in the first phase. It seemed like the first phase we were we used um, sort of deep receptions by dropping Odegaard, more rarely Trossard. Um, to sort of direct attacks, um, obviously with with the first line of defenders, um, sort of a, a lot of use of dribbles and carries um, in order to to prompt wolf players to move in a particular direction. And then the second phase is very much about connecting to um, the last one through. I think we did that really well with rice switches, um, a lot of diagonal passes to to exploit sort of the, the lateral space that the three midfielders had to of wolves midfielders had to cover. Seb touched on it, but I, I really like the idea that we, or the, I like the fact that we didn't invert. Um, I think a sort of trapezoid press has caused us a lot of problems in, in accessing our pivots this season. And I think we were able to have bigger distances in our build-up just because of the security that we had in that first line of, of, of angle access, of being able to sort of pass around um, the Wolves press. Wisinchenko sort of staying more wide, as Seb said. Um, but yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. I think I have the stats in front of me. We had 19 deep completions, um, which I think is a pass is going into the last 30 yards of the pitch from outside of that. So, um, and that's versus I think 12 we had versus Sheffield, nine versus Brentford and seven versus Chelsea, just for point of comparison. So that's quite a lot. We had 18 versus Burnley, where we, we were admittedly more fluid on the eye. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting you mentioned the shape of the opposition block and, of course, like the deep completion numbers, where the opposition opposition have usually, you know, sort of held a deep block for, against us and in, in that sort of trape- trapezium shape. Um not the press, but just just the block itself. Uh, and like we've talked about uh, this particular thing that I'm about to speak of uh, in this pod, where we when we were discussing solutions to central progression, like how we can create that pivot when we don't have somebody inverting, and that's what happened this in the past two games, past two or three games, where we've seen Odegaard come deep and we haven't seen. Uh, Zinchenko or Tomiyasu particularly inward. But what we have seen instead with Odegaard coming deeper is a lot of rotation. 
I feel like we've seen Trossard playing as a floaty eight, number 10, where he's allowed to go left and right both. Um, we've seen, we're seeing Martinelli come inside where at times we're seeing Odegaard receiving deeper, facing play, Rice going into eight. We're seeing Tommy Asu standing in, in six. So I feel like that's also a big, big reason where like we've, We've just allowed some of some fluidity into the system. We've allowed players to feel the ball more. We've, we've allowed them to move a lot more and not let them be static. So that that allows us to perhaps access spaces that weren't there before, where people are just standing static within the block or outside of the block, trying to play through uh, deep blocks. Um, Logan. Yeah, I think simply put as well, there's a better. We've talked about this, but a better blend and balance of profiles in the eleven. Um, just, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on the right-hand side triangle, but having someone occupy that half space when the ball's on the right-hand side is a bit more dynamic in, in Tomiyasu um, rather than Erdegaard. Um, we have a sort of someone who can approximate a passer profile in in Trossard who can feed those passes in behind for Martinelli every now and then. Um, perhaps not as, as, as much as we'd like. It was right-hand side focus. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like this season's sort of been an exercise in in getting the blend and, and balance of profiles right in the eleven, and it's been quite hard. Um, sometimes to the detriment of one particular player, we've talked about sort of the performance of our eights, um, who are sometimes there for for defensive reasons, and therefore we look clunky in, a, in attack, etc. But I think this was a good balance of profiles for this particular game. Um, I do say that because going into the game, I was quite surprised by having an interior pairing of as lightweight so to speak as Erdegaard and Trossard but I think it did um, work for this game and I think they were they're missing probably two or three of their most um, dangerous ball carriers in Neto, Jao Gomez and and Lamina so obviously you know this is not the the lineup that will be used in every single game going forward but I think it did work um, for this game and can work for these sorts of games. Sir do you have anything to add to that? No, that was basically what I wanted to add is what Logan just said, and that a lot of this is just down to getting players into their optimal positions and getting the optimal value out of them. It always seemed sort of weird to have the left-hand midfielder dropping deeper when you have Udegaard on that side who can uh, do that role better, which then frees up uh, Rias while also having fullbacks higher up to sort of create interchanges and wide dynamics there while having the left-sided midfielder then being higher up and pinning there. Um, with Tomiyasu, that dynamic worked really well, considering you have someone who's so adept at getting into different positions, wherein White is probably a more player who's fixed his movements, if that makes sense. He sort of has a sort of fixed repertoire of his movements and his actions individually in-game. In, in and having Tomiyasu there, who can sort of backfill for Udegaard's pinning positions higher up, um, there's a good thread by, let me just find him, by Austrian Guna on Twitter, who explained that uh, th that thing about in the final third when usually you have Udegaard in the sort of zone 15 position between the center back and the fullback, you put Tomiyasu there and have Udegaard deeper to then affect build up more, uh, affect sort of die attacking on that side a lot more. Um, consequence from that has also been that Odegaard played 17 line-breaking passes in the opposition half this game, which is the most by a Premier League player this season. 
it reminded me a tiny bit of the Bournemouth game, just in that Odegaard dropping provided us with um, sort of that time and space when we were looking to build deep and Wolves obviously wanted to engage us fairly high, but not press, commit to a complete press. Um, so I think Odegaard dropping for these sorts of games works really well. Um, because once the ball sort of bypassed that first Wolves line, we could then direct um, with an overall, what was normally like a numerical parity going forward. So we could get the balls um, to the wingers 1v1, at least for two or three seconds before they were doubled up. And then we could shift the ball. And, it, and just, I think we've often seen our attacks be focused completely in, in sort of settled possession in the opposition half and because we were more willing to sort of stretch our, our attacks and, and have a more considered first phase approach like this. Um, I think we used stuff like switches really well so that when we did arrive in the final third, we already had some sort of rhythm. We weren't just there with the ball. Um, and I, I think that element of rhythm is pretty important to to our team and sort of the profiles that make up Arsenal. So yeah, it, it definitely looked like the Arsenal of last season for better. Yeah, I think uh, rhythm defines it pretty well. And we've actually talked about this before, where we called it dynamism. Like, we play our best football when we're dynamic. And I think having Odegaard deep, allowing him to be a volume receiver of the ball, where he can just feel the, the tempo of the game and he can set the tempo of the game, it's really just getting the best out of him. And you can always plug holes with, with the fullback at eight rather than having him, having the fullback in the pivot per se, right? So, yeah, I think that sort of ties out the discussion. I just want to dwell on the Odegaard 6 thing a little longer. Um, when we started, like, this season, I, there were times when Havertz was dropping deeper, but Odegaard wasn't. Do you guys think that this is a stopgap solution or this is some sort of, you know, an, I, I don't want to call it innovation because it's it's not. It's just having your aid come deeper. So has something changed in Arteta's thinking where he wants the, the the actual like the more creative midfielder coming deeper and you know playing more of the ball, sort of like what Bruno at times does for Man United. Like, do you think that this is the solution going forward, just to alleviate Rice off of the you know central progression and like not having to receive with back back to goal? I think it's one of these solutions. Certainly, I mean having Sinchenko. Invert is also a solution of getting Rice out of those first phase responsibilities. Um, but what it is mainly, in my opinion at least, is a recognition of the players available in insofar as that getting Odegaard deeper in possession maximizes his individual output and getting him out of situations where he's a sort of static receiver high up and getting him deeper with more freedom while also getting Kahavats and Trossard either one of them higher up getting him more involved in in attacking third play um in sort of different situations right uh, the the Trossard and Kai Havertz interchanges made sense insofar that against Lens where we wanted to sort of deliberately play over the press we had Havertz there as an additional aerial target or a second ball magnet which he's both really really good at whereas against Wolves where we did face more of a deep block and had to open up the game, but having Trossard there for his in-possession value. Um, so I think it's it's a considered approach of the profi uh, profiles of players he has available to him 
in those midfield areas and sort of maximizing them individually and collectively. I mean, it it does take a lot of effort to get this off, right? Because out of possession, we do still have Odegaard as the highest player in midfield and have him dictating the press while also then sort of inverting that and having the left midfielder the highest and uh, Odegaard as the deep receiver when in possession. So it's it's a fine balance to strike, but I think what it does do is sort of maximize the, the players individually that we have at the moment, yeah. I think I think the space-time particulars of the game are quite important as well. Like Odegaard thrives in in sort of being the controller in games that are, I don't, I don't want to say end-to-end because this game is far from it, but again, like I, I talked about Bournemouth before, but he, I think he's particularly good as the plus one, as it were, dropping. Um, I, I wouldn't expect to see him, and I, and I don't think we ever really have seen him for Arsenal, as the the pivot in the 3-2 when we're just looking to build in a, in a more settled way um, and build through the thirds incrementally. I think he's particularly good when he does receive those diagonal balls into his feet and we're looking to, bo- to build quickly and him receiving on the right with his left foot, he has access to the other side of the pitch. Um, he can sort of control the tempo of play, which I think he's really good when he has the space and time to do it. Um, which is why I sort of understand, or at least in my mind, it puts into context why we've seen less of it this season, just because it does invite those more transition heavy situations where there's more variance and where we were caught out in the latter end of last season. Um, but it's about finding a balance. And I think if you keep Odegaard as this third phase guy, it's not where you find his value. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I do think it's somewhat of a stopgap solution in that Arteta's reticence to do this so far this season wholesale. Um, probably indicates that he wants less of these transition situations because I did notice sort of, I mean, there was one particular um, example that jumps to mind where Odegaard played this central pass in our own box to Trossard. And I was like, oh my God. Um, But at the end of the day, it's Trossard and Trossard's really good in tight spaces, one touch, and he was able to connect and we were fine. Um, So it does invite a level of risk that could have been exploited on another day. But I think this is where you find the best Odegaard. So... Yeah, it's about finding that right balance, I suppose. So just using the fact that you mentioned risk-taking and uh, transitions, I just want to quickly, you know, I'm obviously going to talk about Rice when we talk about this topic. I want to talk about the rest defense and this ability that we've developed this season, owing particularly to Rice, of just ending transitions. Like, it just seems that we've taken the next step as a defensive team, which is surprising because the way that we, you know, attacked last season and now we've found, found our rhythm. But interestingly, uh, we've played 14 games this season. We've conceded 11 goals. At this point, we were top last season. Same number of games played, same number of goals conceded. But this year, we look incredible defensively so far, right? Uh, and obviously, that's owing a lot to Rice. Um, I feel... Like there is an intent currently where we want to simplify his game. Uh, we just let him do what he's absolutely great at. And this ties in with the fact that we were talking about profiling players correctly and using the right profiles in the right games. But he just seems to be this guy who's going to 
just shut down every transition and he's also going to press high up um is he's almost starting to resemble uh, a sort of conte to me uh, where he's just snapping fall of of people right so what do what do you make of our rest defense this season and the fact that we look imperious in 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 transitions i think what if we, if we sort of have the focus on on these games specifically i think what's been interesting to me at least is a sort of recognition of how good our individuals in our rest defense are in that we can scale back the level of security we need in tr- in transition and rest defense to sort of dial up our attacking dynamism a bit if that makes sense right like insofar as we have both fullbacks higher up and wider allowing us to create a bit more dynamism and a bit more fluidity on the wings we recognize that with three of the best transition defenders in the world we don't necessarily have to always go 3-2 in in those games and sort of hatch it down the the rest defense to a criminal level <laughs> uh, that that we are able to leave them somewhat exposed especially in having rice in front of the back two and his athleticism sort of gives him a range of movement wherein he covers a a significant part of space by himself as able to defend that space adequately so sort of striking that balance between scaling back our rest defense a bit and scaling up our the the players we commit to and how we commit players to attack is something i found interesting in the last three games at least yeah i i think with regards to to rice in particular um he's just it, 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 we're able to give him so much responsibility um out of possession where he's able to manage those those situations where he's he's screening the back line and then can go from a zonal that zonal oriented role to picking up what was in this in the Wolves case um the spare man who was the third midfielder in those sort of trigger situations when the wide center back has the ball or something so i mean i i talked about it in after the community shield and I, I think I just called I called it springing power or whatever. But basically, Rice's capacity to close down areas so quickly, like you said, like in Golo Kante, affords us the amount of flexibility I think we have in possession, uh, out of possession rather, this year, which is curiously sort of where, or one of the the places where Arteta seems to deviate from Pep. He likes to get his control in, in out of possession game plans as much as in possession game plans. But... Yeah, I, I think there were there were a number of situations in the Wolves game where I was watching and sort of the Wolves had a I suppose a two v one in the middle versus Rice, but it's not one they could ever exploit, um, just because we are able to manage the distances so well with someone like like Rice in the middle. Um, I think it's, <laughs> I think Odegaard and Trossard were particularly good in in sort of those second ball situations. I was pleasantly surprised by both of them. Um, they are actually quite good. For that stuff in general, um, but yeah, I, I I think Rice is obviously a huge part and performed really well, even if it was one of his less glamorous performances during the weekend. He does lack a bit of supple, subtle s- suppleness, suppleness, though, <laughs> doesn't he? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we can we can talk for a ten more minutes about how incredible Rice is, and I think it's it's intelligent 
to some simplify his role in the team currently for a little bit until he starts to learn more so i just want to get on to the fact that this was the first time i think this season where we've seen uh, in the last three games the front five maybe which arteta imagined uh, we would be playing with consistently and that's incredible like we've, we've played like 20 games this season uh and depending on who you are you may see havertz or trossard in that best front five uh but how important is that basically having the first front three uh of, of last season and have its and odegaard back and also uh how do you think we've we've managed the right sided bias in the last two games let's let's just focus on the last two games the whole rhs dynamics uh it just worked it's 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 apparently just from the nowhere it started to work and we saw uh, you know in like huge overloads on the right hand side uh versus loss and we saw the same versus wolves where tomiasu is going beyond the last line we're seeing trossard coming in it's four or five players scrunching him on the right side so uh talk to me a little bit about the right rhs dynamics uh what's changed why has it changed if anything's changed at all yeah i i think it's um it's a good question as well because it's one of those things where profiling players and and the profiles of players on the pitch are, are what makes football and sometimes you look at a cohort of of players sort of in this wide dynamic for example Saka Tomiyasu and Odegaard and you wouldn't expect it to be too threatening um but it's a good example of things sort of working on the training ground and that coming to fruition because we've seen those these micro tweaks in the in the sort of group dynamics um in the wide places so yeah i think just to go back to deep build up really quickly i think the degree to which we built up in the first phase then helped us out wide just in that we were able to direct um build up there on so it was rather than being in 3 versus 4 situations um it was often 3 versus 3 situations or 4 versus 3 situations and i think that was good and then as we've touched on as well it was tomiyasu occupying the half space or or rather arriving in the half space some of the time um which is good because he's coming from deeper than odegaard but also it means odegaard is that sort of relay passer if saka has to pass it back um and that's where odegaard can be the most threatening in those in those wide dynamics because he's not a dynamic player so if he's receiving the ball a, a backwards pass he's facing play he's on his stronger foot and he's outside of the block so any action that he do almost inherently has better value than if he's receiving in the half space almost kind of having to do a a a right-footed cross um so yeah i guess those two things yeah and what what can't be sort of understated enough is how important it is to have the the main personnel back right like we we touched on it a bit uh, over the last few weeks how much the introduction of Trossard in the 9 has sort of amplified our attacking game somewhat and with Jesus there that just goes up another level just because of his individual qualities um it also is a really nice coincidence that the finding of these five guys has coincided with the best form Havertz has been in for us the also helping that with Germany he was able to have two games where he was able to sort of rep receiving on the left hand side quite a lot and sort of get get more accomplished there 
and then just finding people in in the positions they're comfortable in, right? Like the the amount of Jesus dropping he does amplifies Kai Havertz's game because he's able to sort of ghost into the box and arrive in the box, which I still think is him better than him sort of statically occupying central areas in attack, which is why I'm still not really sure on the the Havertz nine thing. Um, it also helps Martinelli in gaining more. Uh, more dynamism in his uh, in his role because he's able to get more centrally with Jesus dropping wide, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've also seen a bit more of sort of overloading to isolate over the last few games, wherein we were against Laws, for example, we had quite a few situations where we were um, going over the press on the left hand side, consolidating possession there, and playing it to Rice, who was able to switch it out to the right hand side and finding Saka in more isolated situations, which again helps him out tremendously. So. A lot of individual actions that that lead to a really increased team performance. Um, the rice switching specifically is something I'd actually like to see us use more of, especially when we're playing against deep blocks. His ability to, in seconds, switch the ball to the other side of the field is just something we could really use a lot more of in trying to break down those blocks. Yeah, yeah we've talked about rice's possessional skills, both advantages and and. Or, or rather, skills and and limitations, but so often that's in reference to what he can do back to goal, and so much of football. I think increasingly as well of, of midfield players, kind of what you you do when you have the ball facing play as well, um, even as a deeper pivot. And he's just so good. He's so so good. His three hundred and sixty degree awareness, um, completely two footed. Um, the weight of those passes that arrived at Saka's feet and, and less off to Martinelli was just, it was really good. It's especially interesting when you consider the Thomas Partey debates, right? Like we talk a lot about Partey receiving deep and facing forward, but what we don't mention is that we were, we've been able to sustain attacks a lot more because Rice is just a lot more considered when recycling play and for sort of facing forward and getting more retentive passing there instead of Tommy uh, uh, Thomas Partey eating the ball into Saka if he's ready or not. <laughs> yeah, and just to summarize, I think this, uh, what basically we're saying is what changed in the RHS dynamics is one, Tomiyasu arriving dynamically into the half space. Us being able to isolate Odegaard in the half space when there's a double up on Saka, where Odegaard has a little bit more time and space, slightly deeper. And also the, the uh, the role of the deep build-up where which is getting the ball into Saka much quicker. Um, and of course, like uh, there are other elements to it as well. Um, but we'll take a break here. We'll be back after this sweet chassis jingle. And we're back. Um, it was a short break for us. Hopefully shorter for you. Um, we were we were talking about the right side dynamics when we went went for the break. I just want to come back to the conversation. Uh, we sort of summarized what changed and what's what's sort of the result of of playing Tomiyasu uh, there and how we've sort of unlocked unlocked. I I say I say in quotes Odegaard from the block. Um, but I also want to talk about the attacking intent overall. Um, in this game where I, I felt we were willing to make those runs and those movements beyond the last line where Odegaard can find the final ball, can find the runner. 
and also we were willing to play through tight spaces more um just just be more quick with the passes uh flick passes around the corner and that's how the first goal came about saka you know sort of pushing the ball through two defenders and uh Jesus holding them holding his defender off and they're just playing through the defense like do you guys think uh dynamism in in movement and uh, from players willing to make those runs in the last line uh is something that that's changed again this uh, in the last two games or, or that was always there and it's it was just a matter of time before we saw it this season uh, yeah i think it's about finding it at the right time so like we talked about sort of the the half space occupant on the right hand side being tomiyasu and how that completely changed even when he wasn't accessed um from the pass out wide if it ended up in sort of recycling via Erdegaard and switch to another side it was of more value than Erdegaard being in that space and we've seen the idea being that that Kai Havertz is that runner on the other side and we and we know that he's a good runner in particular scenarios and sometimes that's actually helped like Odegaard um, um Martinelli's been able to find Havertz on on the underlap but more often than not we haven't really been in the the requisite situation for that to be a superiority that we can exploit so i think it's about the the sort of balances and profiles elsewhere in the squad so that those those sort of runners on the other last line are of value to us rather than simply just being decoys um yeah pleasantly surprised by tomiyasu yeah i th- i think this goes back somewhat to what i said earlier in that I think some of the individual player intent is also magnified by an overall structural intent on attacking dynamism over a sort of over-reliance on defensive transitions and keeping keeping the opposition at bay. Um in that you have if you have both fullbacks higher up and create that shape in in deep build up you have static options as opposed to sort of a late arriver as as white often is in that he starts out in in the three in deep build up and then arrives late to to offer up an overlapping option and even if he he gets the ball deeper in in retentive play when when uh, saka has the ball and gets it back to uh, to to white when he gets the ball in those uh right hand half spaces when saka pass, passes back to him for retentive purposes He's been a lot more conservative than he has been. He's not been sort of finding those seam passes through the opposition last line. He he then recycles back and we sort of start over again um, and, and get the ball back to Saliba and sort of reset the entire play. So I think having the acceptance of committing players higher up and committing more personnel does amplify the attacking intent of the individuals as well as just getting certain individuals as Udegaard as Tomiyasu and as Saka in positions where they're able to affect play. I I have a question for for both of you guys because I going into this game let's just say I thought Tomiyasu's worst position was right back um, just because of the way he's been used uh, as sort of that wide centre back on the right. I think his angles are worse in possession but also um i think it's also where he has to do most of his work and i'm kind of concerned for physical reasons um but that aside obviously as as we've kind of devoted a healthy portion of this podcast talking about it it did work 
Um, and he got an injury. You, you were saying, Seb, it, it, it looks like he's going to be okay, which is really good news. Um, but do you think, do you guys think sort of this use of a fullback, um, this this novel use of a fullback, as it were, for us this season, do you think there's an onus on us to go out and get a defender, whether it's an overlapper, um, underlapper, whatever, just someone who can contribute to attacking dynamics, diversify them, whether it's on the left or the right. Um, and in so doing, I guess, make Tommy the another central back option rather than right back. Not necessarily, but um, yeah. Do, do, what do you think about sort of the idea of getting a fullback, whether it's in the short term in January or, or long term? I think there's an argument to be made for it in that getting someone who can at least part replicate the things Tommy also can do on that side would be an interesting idea. I also think having Timber back might be at least a part solution to that. Um, <clears throat> I do think um, your argument has always been that uh, Tommy also should be sort of specialized as a central center back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. M my counter argument to that is that Tommy also has such a unique makeup that having him play in different positions according to the team's needs sort of supersedes his own development as a central center back in that if if we look at the first goal for example he's positioned inside at sort of the the right hand edge of the penalty area and plays a through ball to Saka with his left foot I don't think a lot of fullbacks are able to sort of replicate that and replicate his ability inside as well as outside and let alone center backs if I'm calling ex exactly that. <laughs> uh, so so I think yeah. the, the sheer versatility you get in his profile is more valuable using it wherever the team needs it at a certain time and at the moment I think the, what he did at, at right back over the last two games has been really really good and sort of helps the team dynamics a lot um I think it's already been apparent in the Lons game which is why I wasn't as concerned for it in the in the Wolves game. But yeah, if, if if there would be someone out there who could replicate what he can do off both feet, sure. But I just don't think there's someone who can. Yeah. Um I think like if if there is a call for him to play at center center back, he I he would just do a great job. Um, I mean you could you could plug him in anywhere. And he's just that sort of footballer who can just pick up a position and start playing. Um, some of the positions that he was picking up, that he has been picking up in, in the past few games is like you really need to stop and watch where he goes and like how, how the rest of the team reacts to all of those rotations and those moments. And in the last game, I, Seb and I were talking about how, uh, like, like the whole Tommy as a white thing, uh, where one's an overlapper and one's more conservative because uh, the white's White sort of times his runs because he is the third center back, but Tommy Asu is like we've we've been using him in a more specialized way. So I think in terms of getting a defender, um, I thought Timber would be the one. Like you know, like he was supposed to be the one. But I I think like as long as we don't have any any more injury injuries in the uh, you know in the back line, I don't think that we particularly do that because we're anywhere looking for a center midfielder, right? Seb? Yeah, my, my last argument here would be that I would say that having Tomiyasu as a right-back option also opens up the possibility again of having White as a sort of deputy central center-back, 
which I think in possession works a lot better for White than it does for Tomiyasu. I still think he's sort of naturally inclined more of a center back than than Tomiyasu is. The only drawback to that, obviously, is that White's is a lot more aggressive in his defensive work than than Tomiyasu is and then Saliba is. And you would sort of have to read Jake the the aggressor controller aspect of of that defensive play. But I think in possession at least, uh White would offer you more than Tomiyasu as a deputy to Saliba. Just on a macro scale, we have our four defenders who start the most, those being Gabriel, um, Saliba, White, and Zinchenko. And then we have Kivior, who I expect to see more of in this congested fixture. Kivior would be another option, by um, the way, if run. we want to play wide at yeah. centre-back. I think that sort of aggressor-holder thing would work a lot better as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have Tomiyasu, who's obviously sort of fit at the moment, but has niggling in injury issues. But that's six defenders, which at any time is not a, a deep number of, you know, it's not a, it's not a huge number. With Timber set to come back, I, I don't think we really know, but let's just say March. Do you think six bodies is enough, given Tommy Esu's injury prone, given how many minutes, say, White's played, all of these things considered? Um, I, I, do you think, would you say that central midfielders a much more pressing issue to to solve than to get simply a defensive body in? Just before I, I answer the eight over defender issue, just to play dev- devil's advocate, would you say that Tomiyasu is injury prone? Or I would wager... Yes. <laughs> because I would wager <laughs> yes. the, the sort of last 14 months of Tomiyasu were a lot down to bad luck in that he picked up a lot of very different injuries. And since coming back from his last one has been sort of squeaky clean in terms of his um, injury record. So I I don't think there's a systemic issue within him that sort of aggravates itself every now and again. I think it's just been a lot of different issues that have hindered him and sort of some of it has been rushing him back. I suppose, yeah, just on that note, it's... It's one of it's probably the main reason why I wanted him as a centre back, just because the, the amount of physical load, um, especially someone of his build, obviously, like not to get into any specialist realm here, but this is someone who's sort of what, 188, I think, um, who who's who came through as a centre back, you know, a hybrid one fair, but a centre back. That was one of the the reasons why, just because of the physical exertion when playing at fullback when compared to the centre-back. Yeah, Mana. Yeah, I'm just surprised you guys are not considering Cedric who's on the bench. Like, <laughs> that's just unfair. Um, so we have seven bodies for, for, for position. I can't rule Walters as the seventh body myself. That's just... <laughs> in in Collings' head, we have seven. Yeah, because Walters is Walters there. exists, yeah. so it's all right, guys. I do think the the need for a central defender or a defender in any case is very contingent on the timeline Timber has. I think latest speculation is that he sort of gets back into team training around end of January and gets back in contention around mid-Feb. If that's the case, I don't really think we should sort of get another body in just for the sake of getting a body in. And I think the present need, because we don't have a profile there, 
is getting the eight in. Oh, the do you mean eight or or a central midfielder? Because I think we've been linked with Paulinho, and we do need somebody who can fill in for Rice, right? Yeah, maybe it's good to touch on the the Paulinho news. Actually, I didn't think yeah. of that. What did you guys make of that? I don't know. I I feel like he can. He's he's good defensively. Like he do. 80% of what Rice does maybe defensively, but I don't know about in possession. But anyway, we've anyway been managing that sort of possession load off of Rice. So I think we'd manage. Uh, but just to get that body in, just somebody to provide cover in rest defense and in transitions. But depends on Rice, I guess. But he's also 29, right? 28, I think. Yeah. 28, but, but he's played... Actually, I'll go to Seb. I'll get it up because I have it somewhere in the archives. But he's played like a low amount of minutes. My argument would be that we have in Rice, Jorginho, and the other guy who's always injured, a collection of sixes, Mohamed Elneny as well, that can manage and sort of provide different avenues for the team to play. With Rice's defensive... uh, with Rice's injury record, I don't really see the necessity for another six, especially one that is is more limited in possession than Rice is. Rice is really good when facing forward in possession, and Palinia is is serviceable, but for me, the Bayern links with him made a lot more sense, considering you want to free up Kimmich uh, t- to have more, more of a sort of second-phase role. And have Palinia there as a sort of sitting body because none of Bayern's midfielders actually want to sort of hold their position strictly. Um, with with us, we have players that are nominal sixes and will develop into nominal sixes. And our need is a second-phase receiver. Even with Rice playing there, it's it's not his optimal role. So having someone who can, who is a sort of Kimmich-esque, which is why I brought Thubimendi into the conversation in the Q&A uh, thing, because that's the profile I, I would ideally like to see there, would be optimal rather than getting Palinia in, who's very, very expensive, outside of our age range in terms of who we normally sign, and feels like a profile we don't really need. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just going to piggyback on that, because I completely agree. I think whoever we look at for central midfield ideally should be able to play instead of rice in sort of those those lower games so but should be starting with rice most games so which is basically what you just said Seb. so like an 8-6 rather than a 6-8 or just a 6 like Palinia. um i did find that it's a tweet um supposedly again this is twitter but um Palinia's got 21.5 thousand yeah, so 21,000 minutes at the age of 28. Um, for reference, Saka's got 18,500. So he's, his mileage is very low. It makes sense considering um, he was a really late bloomer in Portugal. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I suppose that's that's something to, to factor in. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't know about you, Manus. I agree. I, I'd much rather someone like Frankie de Jong, Zubamendi, Yusuf Fofana, someone like that. Yeah, I mean, go for somebody long term rather than just a short stop guy. But I don't know. Depends on price. I haven't really thought about this. Um, just, just quickly for reference, uh, Bayern were willing to pay around sixty million for him in the summer, and since then he's extended his contract. 
yeah, it's too much. But who knows? Cronkies are rich. Um, I would. I want to talk about a few more topics, but I guess we're out of time on the spot. But I do want to touch on one of them, and that's Martinelli. I think uh, that guy starting really starting to come into his own again in the season. Uh, he he tried a couple of three sixties. One of them came off. One of them didn't. Um, uh, but I think, and this was mentioned in the post match. Um, conference uh, which Arteta gave where um, they were talking about his defensive contribution and if you watch uh, uh, the few instances where Wolves did have the ball in our third um, Martinelli was the one who was tracking their wing back and you could you can just you can look how he's tracking like the intensity he's tracking every every diagonal the wing back is making in the box and there's that one moment where Zinchenko loses to Sumedo the ball to Sumedo and he sprints back and gets the ball back. So, um, like, I, I just want to touch on Martinelli because the left side, our left side usually gets neglected in game and and in our, in this podcast as well. So, we can correct one of those things. So, talk to me about Martinelli. We'll start with Seb. Yeah, I think having Martinelli at his optimum again is just very very helpful for the team. I think having him out for the first part of the season was one of the key factors in us not being able to be as dynamic offensively. Um, and since the City game, he's sort of been able to come back into the team and sort of step-by-step step get back to where he was before the injury. Um, the Sevilla game especially shows us showed us sort of what Martinelli is in that he roasted his fullback consistently so much so that he probably still thinks about Martinelli from time to time when he closes his eyes. Um, but yet yeah, the defensive aspect of him is as important as anything. He if he falls into the Gabriel Jesus camp of being so nippy and so sort of energetic that he will offer you a, a degree of defensive work rate that you don't often get in, of, uh, in attacking players. And having him immediately drop back into into settled shapes when we lose the ball is is one of the reasons especially Saka does it as well which sort of half comes from him uh getting into the team as a left back and still having that sort of defensive awareness uh which is why we also often used him as the fifth defender when we played against back threes uh the the games against Conte's Tottenham spring to mind especially but yeah I think what we have in those two is just very, very unique profiles and unique players that have been coached by Arteta for so long that they completely get the instructions they're given in that they're extremely good at setting tempo and sort of taking tempo out of the game when when it's needed for for a positional play team that wants to dominate possession. Yeah, I, I think Martinelli's a, a coach's dream. Um I think you'd, most coaches would probably say that just the, sh- the sheer defensive effort that he puts in as well. I think uh, I talked about it a couple of year, uh, weeks, I was going to say a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, but I think he, he's been molded into a, a touchline winger and as such has brilliant retention, like really brilliant retention, um, but does thrive in more dynamic situations. Um, as does Saka, but Saka is a threat and settled play, um, sort of that that triple threat that I don't think Martinelli is, and 
particularly the first half of last season, he benefited a lot from the fluidity on that side. Those those triangles between Shaka, Zinchenko and himself that were um, constantly in motion. And I think that explains his decreased output this season as we've been a bit more static. Um, and also explains how he scored in the in the Lons game in a more dynamic situation and probably should have scored in this game. Just one thing, in the Lons game, the goal that he did score and also the, the, the shot which hit the post against Wolves, we saw him sort of, again, with the, with the space to drive inside, which is important, but that willingness to sort of open up his hips and score at the far post, which... Fair enough, the separation was kind of already there, but we've also seen him a bit more reticent to do that, especially when he, he doesn't have the separation. He can't really get it on the inside. Um, so I am hoping that that's an, an evolving part of his game. I think that it's, it slowly but surely is. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mentioned the the rice switch earlier, right? And I think one of the aspects that we sort of underutilize is leveraging our right-hand side bias in getting there and then switching it out through Rice to Martinelli to sort of isolate him and get him into situations where he can exploit his individual quality against fullbacks a lot more, which is another avenue where we can improve offensively. Yeah, and I think he just when he gets on his bike, it's it's he's really hard to stop. You have to double up, double up on him as well as Saka, and that is something that I feel will stories slowly start to exploit in teams as well he's also so fun to watch because he's his movement is so weird yeah yeah i think he's he must be a nightmare to play against a hunchback um, yeah. and like lock said like coaches would love him just for the defensive effort right uh yeah um so i think that's it for this episode thanks for listening um please 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 rate the podcast on spotify and leave a review uh, if not on Spotify, please drop a comment on our Twitter page. Uh, our socials are in the description. The music for this podcast is made by James Blake, whose Twitter is at JWBlake. And we'll see you in the next episode, uh, where we'll potentially be talking about two games. Uh, and yeah, goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the episode.